Good singing. You may be seated. Amen. It was good singing. All of the songs seemed to be like we were at a candlelit dinner with our Savior Jesus Christ. I mean, it was Valentine's week. I'm sure some of you ended up somewhere at a candlelight dinner. Uh, We made Jessica dinner on Wednesday before church, and the boys always have to light candles so that we have a romantic dinner with mommy. And so for 14 years, I have not had a romantic dinner on Valentine's Day with mommy, but it was enjoyable with the boys for sure. The passage that was read for our introduction this morning said, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer, obviously, to that question is no one. If angels can't, if a height or a depth or any other creature, not peril, not sword, not anything else, if nothing can take us away from the love of God, we have a love indeed. And it's a wonderful, wonderful truth. Well, we're going to read one verse as we open this morning. And I'm making the warning that the introduction will be short because we're going to read all of the book of Ruth. So turn to Ruth chapter number 4. We're in our walking series, our second and only other message in the life of Ruth. Today we're looking at love's crowning picture, who both Ruth and Boaz are for us and what they represent and what they are a type of and what they picture for us. We'll read one verse in verse number 13, but we'll come back, I promise, at the very beginning of the first main point, and we'll read the entire letter. You say, oh, the whole way from chapter 1. Well, we've read chapters 1 and chapter 2 through verse 12, so we'll pick up in verse 12 and we'll read to the end. It is a wonderful story. It is a beautiful story. It is a love story, and it's worth our consideration. The Bible says in Ruth chapter 4 and verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, when life begins, by the way, And she bare a son. Father, help us, I pray, as we come to you this morning from the Word of God. Help us to see the jewel, the end, the purpose and accomplishment of your love. Oh, Lord, today we'll see it as it plays out in the life of Boaz and Ruth. But in our second thought this morning... We will apply it to our spiritual life, our love for you, and Christ's love for us. Help us, I pray, Lord, to draw near to you in these moments. There will be preaching this morning, especially in the first thought, that is directly against what our culture says husbands and wives and homes should look like. It's how God designed, you designed it. It's how the Bible teaches it. But I realize that in some of the preaching and the teaching, some of the words may cut, divide to the, jo- to the joint and the marrow, to the soul and the spirit. So be it. Help us to divide and discern the Word of God accurately this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ruth modeled God's love and the core principles of His love. Last Sunday, we considered her words from chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, that she spoke yes to Naomi, but in speaking that statement of love, they show her desire for communion, her devotion as a companion, and and she shows the fulfillment of the very definition of commitment. We noted that Ruth is the example of love. She gives to us what love should be like and the kind of love that we ought to have in both our human relationships, but also in our heavenly relationship, our relationship with our loving Lord Jesus Christ. These core principles must be in place for true love to ever be expressed. And so from the core principles, we move in Ruth's life to love's crowning picture. 
The crowning picture of love is first in our outlines, a practical picture of love. Make no mistake, these are two real people who lived a real story at a definite time in real history. They were followers of God and they are perfect pictures for us of what our human love ought to be. They are a great lesson to learn from this morning. With that in mind, we are going to read for a bit. Now, I'm going to take some time to commentate as I read some of this, and then I promise you we'll get to the preaching. And you know what that is in pastor talk? That just means it may be a little while before we get to the second main point. Not to worry, I'll get you out before the roast burns and the ham cooks. I promise I'll get you home in a good order, all right? Let's read together beginning in chapter 2 and in verse 12. Boaz is speaking in verse number 12, and he's speaking to Ruth, who has come and has presented herself in a work fashion to provide for Naomi, who has come home with her from Moab to Bethlehem Ephratah, who is in this place and in this time she has presented herself, Naomi, as the bitter one. This is within the context that we enter the story. Ruth is out working tirelessly to care for this bitter woman at home who feels like she's a victim of everything that God's done to her. And love is going to transfer, transfer Ruth from despair to delight. Love is going to transfer or transport Naomi from her bitterness to blessedness as we read. The verse says in verse 12, The Lord recompense, Boaz speaking, thy work. And a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then Ruth, she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly Unto thine handmaiden. Do you know what she just told him? She said, Thank you for speaking to me in my language. What did we say last week Ruth's name means? Beautiful friend. That's her. And so she says to Boaz, thank you for talking to me in a friendly, kind, and gracious way. Oh, if you get nothing else, at least get this as a husband and wife. You gotta talk to each other in the right language. It's helpful and beneficial. Somebody's, there's a phone or something talking, is there? It's me! (laughs) Hallelujah, there is something in the back playing and everybody is looking at it. Are we good? Drew's like, it's not me, Dad, I promise. Are we good back there? I got both those guys back there embarrassed like nobody's business. All right, we're good. I I just know this whole section over there is like, man, there's like a spirit filling or something. I don't know. I sound like that on the radio? Oh my goodness, okay. Technology will let you down at the worst possible time. All right, let's go back to the story in the Word of God. This is going to be a good one, then, if we've got a distraction already. All right. She says, you're talking to me as I need to be spoken to. A woman of beautiful friendship says, you've been friendly to me. You've been kind and gracious to me. Though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. And Boaz said unto her, at mealtime... Come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall some of the, of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them and rebuke her not. In other words, he's trying to provide for her. So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. In other words, Naomi ate first, and then Ruth ate after her, and both of them were full. And her her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. Now stop for just a second. Naomi's changing. She's come back to town as a bitter old woman who was angry at God for doing something to her. And now because God is going to provide and begins to provide, her spirit begins to change in her. Never underestimate the power that you have when you follow God and God blesses you on other people. You have great impact in this world. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. 
Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go, that thou go out with his maidens that they meet thee not in any other field. In other words, don't go looking for another guy. That's how you can read that. It's okay. It's the Kyle and Jessica version, RKJV, for Jessica and I at our house. Sometimes we have to make sure what the Bible says. She's saying, hey, listen, don't don't go in any other field. This guy looks like he's going to take care of you. By the way, moms and dads, if you have daughters and they start dating a young guy that is not good for your daughter, you tell them to run as far and as fast into another field as they can. But if it's a good one for your son or daughter, then make sure you say, hey, listen, that's a pretty good field. Stay there. We keep reading. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean into the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Notice verse 1 of chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter... Shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? I want you to be happy. I want you to be settled. This life is not the life that you were intended to have. And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall shall have done eating and drinking. Now, I am perplexed because I'm going to deal with Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. But I don't know, or uh, Obed, excuse me, in the final point, when we get to the spiritual. But in the spiritual context, I don't know exactly who Naomi is. Naomi is bitter, but now that she's coming back into a right relationship with God and she sees God's blessings and promises, she is struggling, but she gives great advice now. Especially when we think of the spiritual context. Is she a picture or a type of the Holy Spirit? What the Holy Spirit does to us? Wash yourself, anoint yourself, and go to the man. That's what the Holy Spirit tells us to do when we come to Jesus Christ. Or is she a picture of the New Testament church? What we should be doing to the lost of the world. Hey, you want what we have? It's not anything special except for it's very divinely special. You have to wash yourself. You have to be anointed. And you have to receive the gift of salvation. We keep reading. There's so much truth in these few chapters. In verse number four, it says, And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark or note the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do it. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all the all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. By the way, this was custom in the Old Testament. It's not inappropriate. She's asking him here for her, his protection, his provision, his covering, his supply. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid. Huh? And he turned himself. Behold, a woman lay at his feet. Whoa. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered and said, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. It indicates here that Boaz is considerably older than Ruth, and he says to her, Thanks for not chasing the hunky men in the field. Some of you are like, Pastor, you are really reading in the Bible. He's saying, listen, you didn't go after the young men, the ones that would have caught your eye. You were looking for something more important than that. And now, my daughter, verse 11, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. He knew what she was asking for when she came and asked for the covering of his skirt. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Please note that statement of who Ruth is. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Oh, this is going to work out great, Ruth thinks. This is wonderful. This is so glorious. How be it? 
What? How be it? How be it? There is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of the kinsman, well. Oh, can you not see how the Hallmark Channel movie is changing in an instant? I'm going to lose my Boaz. He just said, if the other guy wants me, he'll give me up. Is there not love? These are real people. These are not just written mechanically for us. These are real emotions and real events in real time. Oh, I hope that other kinsman swipes left. I think that's how the apps work. I haven't used an app ever in my life. I met my wife at church, a very good place to meet your wife. Verse 13, if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well. I heard a preacher one time preaching this and said that Boaz said it this way. If he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, that might be how he said it. Let him do to the kinsman, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of the kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of the kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. She laid his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another, or in the darkness of night, in other words. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came in under the floor. In other words, I don't want these details out there just yet. The plan is not fully baked. It's not done. The process of redeeming you is not there. Also, he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And she went unto the city. And when she came and came to her mother-in-law, she said, who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, these six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, sit still, my daughter. You can kind of see the nervousness in Ruth, can't you? I mean, he told me to leave. He told me that I'll take care of it, but you got to go right now. Right? It's kind of at this point that the Hallmark movie would cut to commercial, probably. <laughs> what now? Naomi says to her, calm down. Relax. Be still and know that he is God. That God is in control. Boy, Naomi has significantly changed from where she came back from Moab. For the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. In other words, Boaz is going to accomplish his work to make you his very own. Oh, what a picture of Christ. Then Boaz went up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Oh, such an one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that has come out of the country of Moab, sell the parcel of land which is our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise or make known thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I'm after thee. And he said, Hey, I'll do it. I'll redeem it. And I wonder at some point if Boaz went, Ha ha, gotcha. Because he knew this man in front of ten witnesses was one that was only concerned about his own name, his own reputation. Boaz goes on to say in verse 5, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up, uh, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I what? Mar my own name, my own inheritance. By the way, what a beautiful picture of what Boaz is going to do then. He's willing to mar his own inheritance, his own name. The Bible says that Jesus, when he came, took upon himself no reputation and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Boaz knows what he's saying here. He knows what he's asking here. And so the Bible goes on to say, and the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the manner of the former time in Israel. Samuel is likely writing this, and it was probably a hundred years or so before him. Concerning redeeming and concerning changing, for to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, 
anger, and this was the testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto the people, Ye are witness this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, and all that was Chilion's, and Mahalon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Mahalon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead unto he, upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate of the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and did thou and do thou worthily in Ephrata, and be famous in Bethlehem, and let thy house be like the house of Pharaoh, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and when and, she, and when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, those people she came to in chapter one in verses 20 and following and said, hey, just call me the bitter old girl. Those neighbors who've watched her transform say unto her these things. The woman, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they, these neighbors, called the little baby boy's name Obed. Do you know what that means? A serving worshiper. That's what Obed means. Obed is the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of good King David. This book begins with a funeral, and it ends with a wedding. In this first thought this morning, I want to point out our human relationships as they apply to our marriage, practically speaking. This is a practical picture of love. I'm going to say some controversial things, and so I'll just get it out of the way. Ruth, letter A, needed a provider. Ruth, when we meet her, is destitute in chapter 2. She and Naomi have come back to Elimelech's land, but they have no possible way to work the land or to yield use from it. They are destitute and they are desperate. They turned to Ruth, both Naomi and Ruth, to just Ruth, working as a stranger, following the Levitical laws and the laws of gathering, that they would gather in a circle and leave the four corners of a field for the stranger to take into their harvest. This is where Ruth is found. She needs help. I know when I say these next words that many within the modern movement of Feminist thinking will chastise me. The tube of you will probably demonetize us. Thankfully, we don't monetize. (laughs) Ladies, God's design is that you look for and find a man who is able and willing to provide for you. I don't think anybody would say that today, Pastor. Well, the Bible does. Ruth chapter 2, verses 13 through 16 that we read this morning. She is saying to Boaz, I need you to provide for me. We do marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling. We did it on on, uh, Friday night with Chase and Abigail. We have uh, Alec and Audrey coming over on Monday night. And in the pre-marriage counseling, I always tell them the roles, the responsibilities, and the reality of marriage. And I noted this last week in Love's Core Principles, so I will not harp upon the idea again. But simply to say, God has not given the role of provider to the wife or to the woman. That is not her place. Ruth needed Boaz. That is very evident from this story. God's design is that a woman needs a man to provide for her in the three areas of life, spiritually, emotionally, 
and physically. And within the physical is the financial. The idea of not wasting your money, men. And also making enough money, men. But all of the areas, spiritual, emotional, and physical. May I suggest to you, ladies, if you are interested in a man, to those that are unmarried here this morning, and you are interested in a man and you say, it's okay, I'll drag him by the nose to the finish line so that he can learn to lead spiritually. He never will. He has to be the provider. He has to be the initiator. He has to be the one that takes the lead. It's according to the word of God. The man is to be the provider. And what Ruth needs in a practical sense of love is someone to provide. If you young ladies are dating or interested in a man that has no desire to hold down a good job, run far, run fast. I'm saying that so your dads don't have to. But run. God's designed order cannot be mocked. It cannot be changed or corrupted. God has designed marriage for the husband to be the provider. Listen to what the Bible says in the very first giving of what man's responsibility or his role would be in Genesis 2 and verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Do you know what those mean? To dress something means to prepare it. To do that which is necessary to cultivate, turn the ground, make sure that it is ready to harvest and to yield the most fruit that it can. He is providing the know-how and the work ethic or the work itself to make sure that that garden is dressed. And by the way, sin hasn't even come in Genesis 2.15. There was no sweat of the brow, but there was already work of the hands. It is to dress and the second is to keep. That means to protect. And so often when I do marriage counseling, I say the husband is to provide and protect. We distill it down in that time to talk just of provision. The woman's role is lined out for us in Genesis 2 and verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. In other words, it's the first time in the Bible that God says something, anything is not good. What was not good? That Adam did not have a mate to meet his needs spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And that's what a wife does. That's what Ruth was going to provide, as we'll see in just a few moments. What she needed here was the provision of leadership from a husband. That's what she longed for. Genesis 2 and verse 20, the latter half of that verse, God says one more time, but for Adam there was not found a helpmeet. For him, When Boaz knows that Ruth is wanting more than a friendship, as we read through the story this morning, we can take note of what he does. He takes from his surplus barley, the plucked, winnowed, and ready-to-sell barley, the cash product of his earnings, and he says to her, bring me your veil. He fills her veil up and sends it home with her. We find that she's wanting a deeper relationship with him. That's what she asks for in the covering and the provision and the protection. That's why she asks for his skirt to cover him, or to cover her, I should say. It's what God says to Israel in Ezekiel chapter 16. He says, I will cause my skirt to cover you. It is the man's role, it is the man's responsibility to provide. And what Ruth needed in the practical sense of a marriage relationship was provision. A word to our families then, as if my general preaching hasn't been specific enough. If husbands are making their wives work to cover the debt and expenses of the home, you men are asking your wives to bear a double curse. In the curse, it is in childbearing that the woman is cursed, Genesis chapter 3. And for man, work becomes hard. So you don't get to come home, Mr. Husband. And become pouty pants and say, it's just so hard to work. You women have it so easy. You go take the job. Can't do that. Because no matter what the pseudoscience of today says, you can't have the children. Again, I told you, we're going to get demonetized for this one. I don't care. Truth is truth. 
I'm not saying it's wrong for a woman to work. I'm saying it's wrong for the home to build their dependency upon the woman's income to make ends meet. Ruth is the embodiment of a virtuous woman. Boaz calls her a virtuous woman in chapter 3 and verse 11. It evokes in our mind then the words of good old King Lemuel, which I think is a pseudonym for King Solomon, as he writes. In Proverbs 31 and verse 10, we begin the story or the teachings of the godly woman. How does it begin in Proverbs 31 and verse 10? Who can find a virtuous woman? Well, Boaz calls her a virtuous woman. And Solomon, a great-great-grandson of these two, says, who can find her? And he could have rhetorically said, hey, my great-great-grandpa found one. (laughs) It's recorded in a book, a little four-chapter book. Who can find a virtuous woman for her prices are far above rubies? Maybe the best verse to use for Ruth is actually in Proverbs 12 and verse 4. She is the first half, and I'll leave the second half to your reading and understanding. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. But she that maketh ashamed is rottenness in his bones. It's a sickness that runs deep. Thankfully, I can honestly confess before God and before you, that God has given to me a wife that exceeds what the Bible even calls a virtuous woman. Jessica is my crown, and I'm privileged to say she's my wife. But I've also known men who are even the pastorate and who serve in churches and who are in laymanship and members of churches who are the latter half of chapter 12 and verse 4. Wives, please understand that God has designed a role for you in marriage. I didn't design the role for you. Our church hasn't designed the role for you in marriage. Nor do you get to define your role in marriage. God's designed role for a woman according to the scriptures, the Bible itself, is to be a helpmeet, a nurturer, not the provider. And that was Ruth's need. She needed a provider. That's why the story is written for us, so that we might understand the practical picture of what a loving husband-wife relationship looks like. The woman enters it saying, I need somebody to provide for me. And every woman worth their salt understands that's true. They know it's true. So what did Boaz need? Well, nothing. He had everything. I mean, he's the typical guy, say all the men in here. And those of us that are married, we would say, no, that's not true at all. There's a lot that we need. What did Boaz need? Boaz needed a princess. Listen, she was royal in her character and conduct. If you were to take the time we read it this morning, in Ruth chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, we find the heart of what it is that Boaz actually needs. The Bible says, When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman laid his feet, and he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaiden. I believe in those very words Boaz says, Yes. I know that when I met her, I said that. Many of you have been to our house and you've heard the story as Jessica tells it. I always let her tell the story of how we met and how we ended up getting married. Jessica knew she wanted to marry me the day she met me. I was that awesome. <laughs> or that desperate. I don't know which one. It was probably the latter. I was teaching a Sunday school lesson, and when she came back in the August, I was the ball coach, and I was the janitor, and the ball coach, and the Bible teacher, and history teacher at the church school there. She came to teach fourth grade, and it wasn't too long after that I went home and talked to my mom and dad and said, I think I found the one. We went on our first date in September, 
And I was working at a church school, so I didn't have a lot of money. So I had to scratch and save and scratch and save until I could afford a ring for her. I actually helped her buy a car before I bought a ring for her. I was so sure that I was going to marry her. What we men need is somebody that is the crown jewel of our life. The verses here keep going, and she says, Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid. This is an Old Testament practice of a woman asking, not for a hand in marriage, but it was a woman saying, I need you. Do you accept me? And the answer came very resoundingly from Boaz. Yes, I need you. I want you, but there's one slight problem. There's a dude between me and you. There's a nearer kinsman is what he says. I don't want to sound too mushy because I'll have to turn in my man card at this point. But Boaz was a woman's dream guy. Stop and think about Boaz for a second. Ladies in particular this morning. He was kind. He was gracious. He was wealthy. He was discerning. He was confident. And when a decision needed to be made, he made it. Now, what lady worth, again, their salt in here wouldn't say, that's the kind of person I want to marry. I'd like a guy like that. It is interesting to note that in chapter 3 and verse 10, Boaz is older than Ruth. Apparently quite a bit older than Ruth. It is kind of surprising to me that Boaz hasn't been already married by the time we come to this in the story, but it proves that God had saved him for Ruth. Boaz was waiting for God's right one for him. Boaz's comments on Ruth tell us that he knew exactly what he was looking for in a wife. She needed to be hardworking. She needed to be honest. She also needed to be kind. She needed to be submissive to God. All of these are traits that he defines about her through chapters 2 and chapters 3. She needed to be a woman that understood her role designated by God. Ruth was the embodiment of everything that Boaz wanted. She was beloved, as Solomon would later write in his Song of Solomon. In this day, it was proper for Boaz to identify Ruth's family, seek out her father, establish an agreement to marry Ruth. And that's what he sets to doing. Even though he doesn't know her father, he knows that she had been married to Mahalon, and the way in which he was going to win her, the way in which he was going to have her, the way that this princess would become his was to follow the right steps and the procedures. By the way, young, uh, single adults, those who are teenagers, those that are our young people in here, don't get ahead of the order and structure that God has preparing you for marriage. Boaz then sets to redeeming Ruth. He calls the nearest kinsman by the city gate. He says, hey, you can have everything that is at Limelech's if you want it. The man, of course, replies, sure, I like getting free things. Boaz quickly declares, but you got to marry the Moabite because it's technically her inheritance. The man declines because it will mar his reputation, his name. What a picture of what Christ does for us in this man, Boaz. The man wanted the goods, but not the girl. Boaz wanted the girl. He didn't really care about the goods. This is a true love story, a wonderful picture of Christ's love that we'll see in just a few moments. As we read, the nearest kinsman then removes his shoe. This is a part of the story that many of us don't really understand. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 25, if a man, according to the law, did not marry the, next, the wife of a brother that had died, he would have to take his shoe off and throw it on the ground and say, I don't want to marry her. She could spit in his face for refusing the inheritance, according to Deuteronomy 25. That's not exactly what is happening here. What is happening here, according to the writer, I believe Samuel, in chapter 4, is that there was also a tradition that if I wanted the land of the individual, I would take my shoe off. I don't know why they did this, but they did this. They would take their shoe off and say, here, here's my shoe. And what the person offering the shoe is, is it's rightfully my land by inheritance and next of kin. But I don't want to walk where his land walks, so I'm giving you the privilege to walk where his land walks. And so Boaz says, thanks, and he turns around to the rest. Hey, I got a shoe that's mine. Now, I've never heard a wedding or, or a, a, a proposal for marriage 
where a guy gets down and goes, I got a shoe. (laughs) But that's kind of the point here. He knew that she was now his. If this was a Hallmark movie, they would cut from the city gates to the wedding chapel. The two would be staring longingly into each other's eyes and mooch. Fade to credits. All the men would say, ew, gross. And all the women would say, oh, that's so lovely. And so we have to deal with one more person within the practical love, and that is Naomi. I must hasten. I'll simply say in chapter 2 and verse 20, chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, and chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, God does not leave Naomi out of the equation. The love is between Ruth and Boaz, but the one that was instrumental in bringing them together, the one that God actually used, even in her bitterness, is Naomi. And what Naomi needed in the very practical sense was God's promises. She needed to know that God was good. I mean, she had come back to town saying, God hates me. I'm a victim. God in heaven is saying, no. Your husband and your sons were disobedient, so I can't bless disobedience. But I can still bless you because you came back to the right place of blessing in the promised land. God then sets about keeping his promises to Naomi. It is a very interesting thing at the end of the story. Naomi is praised by the women for God's favor resting upon her in verses, chapter 4 and verse 14 when Ruth bears her first son. Naomi seemingly names the baby or the ladies around her names the baby Obed, which means a servant worshiper of God. Man, I'm glad, by the way, we get to this point in her life. She has fixed her naming issues. Remember the three names that she's used so far, sicko, whiny, and little bitter lady. I mean, I would look at her and go, I don't know if you're naming the kid. But the friends and the ladies come along and say, let's name him a servant worshiper. Oh, that's a good name. What did she need? She needed to rest and rely on God's promises. Well, the practical picture ends in chapter 4, and it gives us at least leeway to have a discussion on the purposeful picture of love. Number two, this is where we'll take us to the end, probably another five, ten minutes, I promise not long. Ruth, Boaz, and Obed, not Naomi, but Ruth, Boaz, and Obed show us God's purposeful love in the lives who come by faith to Jesus Christ. Through the lives of Ruth and Boaz, we are shown the love of Christ for those who seek him. We all know John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. God loves the whole world, is what the first part of that verse tells us. But the love of God is only realized or becomes real to those who come by faith to Jesus Christ asking for salvation. He says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul would later say it this way in Romans 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt, not might be, you will be saved. Let me close our thoughts then on this little love story by making a purposeful connection to God's love in each character. Letter A, Ruth shows us our condition. What is her condition? It's twofold, and I put two blanks underneath there, and we'll go quickly through these. The first condition is desperation. It is one of desperation, to be sure. This is what my life is going to be like? My father-in-law died. My husband died. Now my mother-in-law is very angry and bitter at God, and we're going back to a town that she left and she doesn't really love. This is going to go great, I'm sure. And now we're here and there's nothing for us and I have no means and I don't have any income and and what am I going to do? And I promised to take care of her and so I am desperate. By the way, no one gets saved until they truly understand their desperate condition. It is only when we understand that we are sinners bound for hell with no hope and no help outside of Jesus Christ that we can then understand who Jesus is. 
Ruth's condition was desperate without Boaz's intervention. She pictures us. The second thing about her condition that we note is it is one of desire. She did not say to Naomi, well, I know what you're saying, Mom, but, you know, there is another cute, hunky guy that owns a a field right over here. And every time I'm walking to Boaz's field, I look at him and he winks at me and maybe I'll think about going another way. Listen, within the spiritual realm, there is only one way that you are saved. and It is recognizing your desperate condition and desiring only Jesus as your Savior. It's not then adding a little bit of a work here and a little bit of a penance there and a little bit of your own power over here. None of those things work. It is a singular desire in God. The human soul, by the way, longs for belonging. It longs for purpose and love. That is God's divine order. Boaz notes that Ruth trusted in the God of Israel in chapter 2 and in verse 12. And in chapter 2 and in verse 13, if you look there in your Bible for just a moment, you will find that Ruth desires Boaz's grace. We, as those that come to Jesus Christ for salvation, must desire his gracious offer of salvation. Here's what she says in the beginning of verse 13. Then said, or she said, let me find favor In thy sight, my Lord. The very end of the verse, she says, Though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. I may not be like these other people in this church, but man, I just want one thing, and that's Jesus. I don't need anything else. The one thing I need is Jesus Christ as my Savior. Her condition was one of desperation, but also one of desire. The second person that we meet in a purposeful picture is Boaz. He shows us Christ's compassion. The Bible tells us that Jesus loves us with an everlasting love. The very first hymn that we sung this morning, in the first stanza, it says, His compassion unbounded. What a great statement. His compassionate sacrifice demonstrated just how much... First, he loved his father to keep the will, the plan, and the purpose, but also just how much he loves us in redeeming us. Boaz, in our story, takes great personal risk in redeeming Ruth. He is marrying one who has no strength, no future, and no place within Israel's heritage. Jesus does the same thing when he saves us. We have no standing before him. We have no reason that he should save us, but he offers it to us freely and fully. And there's two fullnesses that we need to understand. It is full of grace, this compassion of Almighty God. Full of grace. We know the acronym, right? Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's the simplest way to remember grace. What does grace mean to me? Well, God's benevolent wealth and riches, God's riches at Jesus Christ's expense. That's what grace means to you. Here's what the writer John in his gospel said in John 1 and verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Because of the fullness of His grace, we see, secondly, it is full of goodness. When I read this next psalm to you, understand as David is writing this psalm, he is likely writing about his great-grandparents, or at least he's aware of their story. He is very aware of their story, because we find it all through these verses in Psalm 31 and verse 19. He says, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before or in the eyes of the sons of men. Is that not the condition of Ruth? God had goodness for her. Boaz wanted goodness for her. And he did it before ten witnesses. Hey, hey, she's mine. You're witnesses. We're witnesses. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. She asked for Boaz to cover her with his skirt. Please protect me. Please give me the provision of your care over me. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. Jesus is the benevolent goodness of God. 
He was and still is for each of us this morning the goodness of God for our soul and for the sanity of the minds of mankind. It leads us finally to Obed. The last, shortest statement, just his name. You say, you are literally going to preach a whole point on his name. Simple, I, tr- I promise. We're at the end. Obed shows our union's crowning. Who was Obed? Well, he's Jesse's dad. Well, who was Jesse? Well, he's David's dad. Who was David? Oh, he was the great king of Israel. He's the one through whom the Messiah's seed would come and the right, rightful heirship to the throne would come through David. And what we find is that when true love, both physically and spiritually in salvation, happen in our life, there is a product that, it comes out, that comes out of it. There is something that is produced in it. And so we find the two statements here is there will be first fruit... And secondly, there is a future. Samuel's likely writing this narrative of Ruth. He puts it between the judges and his prophecies of King Saul, the the implementation of the kingdom with a royalty or a crown over it, and then ultimately King David all the way through the end of 2 Samuel. As we understand this then, Obed shows the crowning moment for the follower of Jesus Christ. Children are the fruit of the womb, the Bible tells us. Every generation of Israel was instructed to be fruitful and multiply. So what does that mean for us as a church then as we close our thoughts? If you are Ruth, married to Jesus Christ, a Boaz, what should come out of your life? New converts. New converts. New souls that trust in Jesus Christ. Fruit that remains. You say, are you counting my fruit? I'm just stating the fact. Husbands and wives are a home. And the natural result, doesn't mean it's always God's divine plan for each home, but the natural result of a a wedded union is that they will have children who will then go on and carry the family name out to have more children. That's what a new believer in Jesus Christ, or even us old believers in Jesus Christ, ought to be doing. The union produces fruit, and the union provides a future. Stable and set. It's the crowning achievement. So in closing, Ruth is a story of love. Boaz is a story of redemption. These two qualities of love and redemption meet in the person of Jesus Christ. We love Him, John wrote in 1 John 4, 19, because He first loved us. What a truth. Ruth serves for us as love's crowning picture. A Moabite, undeserving, yet yearning for provision and protection from the God of Israel. She is dedicated and faithful in her loving kindness to Naomi. She is longing for a love just like Boaz. And she sees that her need can be met in him. And he sees that she meets his need for someone to be his love. His choice one, his princess. Husbands and wives, we do well to learn from the practical lesson of the love story today. Perhaps when we close in prayer in just a moment and take some time to reflect, we pray about our relationship as husband and wife. We pray about the dynamics in our home. We pray about the direction that we're going in our home and the decisions that we've made. Ruth knew her place. She was a virtuous woman. On the purposeful picture of love, If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, oh, my friend, would you just get desperate? (laughs) Would you see that you are bound for hell and the only rescue for you comes from a companion, Jesus Christ, who has grace and goodness waiting for you if you will but come to him desirous. Father, help us, I pray, as we close this.